Thanks be to God for his word. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is great to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, my name's Seb. If uh, I don't know you very well or we haven't uh, spoken much over the, the past 2020 year, I'm a husband to Jess, father to Archie. Uh, during the week, I work for Crew and help train uh, some of their trainees in ministry. Uh, it's my privilege to open up this psalm with us, uh, so let me pray for us before we look at it more closely. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your steadfast love, and for your grace. We thank you for the Psalms, and we pray, Lord, that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise with this one. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, as we draw near to the end of 2020... Uh, if you find it easy or hard to look back at this year with thanksgiving, for many it's been a hard year. Changed plans, cancelled travel, disappointments, job anxieties, health concerns, family concerns, restrictions, unexpected funerals. Perhaps though it is easy for you to give thanks for 2020. Maybe you look back on a year of finishing school or study of graduating, being able to work from home, spending more time with your family, spending more time in the garden, in a hobby, rekindling a friendship, simplifying your schedule, finding out that things turned out far better than you expected. Well, in his book, Teaching on the Psalms, Christopher Ash writes about the Psalms and their purpose, and he says this, the Psalms not only train us to pray, they gradually reshape our affections and our aversions so that we love what we ought to love and hate what we ought to hate. They warm our naturally cold hearts back towards God. And I think that couldn't be truer of the psalm that we're looking at this morning. The big question I want to ask you this morning as we look at Psalm 107 is this. How can we make Thanksgiving a song of our soul? Uh, firstly, we need to look back at what the Lord has already done. Secondly, pay attention to his unfailing love. And thirdly, remember his great reversals. Uh, so make sure you do have Psalm 107 open uh, on your Bibles, at home, on a phone if you're here in the building. Point one will be our longest, point two and three much briefer. Verses one to three. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And now it's a hot morning, so I need you to respond along the way. His love, keep an eye out for it. From the get-go, this psalm is calling for our thankfulness. The psalmist starts with the Lord, his goodness, his enduring, promise-keeping love. The Lord's goodness and love are the key theme and at the very heart of this whole psalm. Notice, if you've got it there in your Bibles, there's no heading for this psalm. We're not told who the author is, uh, but you'll see in your Bibles that this song marks the beginning of book five in the Psalms. The psalm is stirring up God's people to remember God's deliverance and his salvation. It's intended to stir us. You remember the two great deliverances in the Old Testament history of God's people First was the rescue of God's people from Egypt with the Exodus. Second, much later, the exile and the return from exile from Babylon. 
Well, this psalm keeps both in the background, but particularly is concerned with the second, the regathering of God's people back from the nations. And in that way, if you just glance at it, Psalm 106, the second last verse there, Psalm 107 answers the prayer for how book four ends. It's quite a large psalm, 43 verses, so it's worth just taking a moment to see how the whole thing fits together. There's two big sections worth noting. The first, from verses 4 to 32, tells four stories that are really one story. Each illustrates the story of the same redeemed and gathered people from east and west, from north and south, who are telling of God's incredible rescue. Then after the four stories, there's one further unexpected section from verses 33 on. It shows us that the things that look impossible to us, God can turn right around. And finally, verse 43, we're urged to live wisely, considering the Lord's loving deeds. Well, there are bearings. Look with me closely at our first point. In the four stories from verse 4 on, there are really four word pictures that are intended to take us further, to see how really the deepest problem at hand is the soul. They are a desert, a prison, sickness, and a storm. And they're applicable not just to returned exiles, but to all of us delivered from sin. As we run through, keep an eye out for the fourfold pattern in each. First, distress. Second, a cry for help. Third, deliverance. And finally, thanksgiving. From verse 4 the desert. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Picture one describes the distress in this way. Exiles are lost in a wasteland world. They're lost, without food, thirsty and waning. And for an Israelite, it's impossible to hear that language and image and not be reminded of Exodus the wilderness wandering years. But for the exiles too, being in Babylon was like the wilderness experience 2.0. And their lives are ebbing away. What do they do? Verse 5. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. It's not there, but remember verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Distress, cry, deliverance, thanksgiving. The psalmist, he is training his readers, his singers and us to recognize this pattern. And it begins by learning to look at the awfulness of sin. Why? Because we constantly forget what we are truly like. And it's only as we remember that we become more thankful. The picture is of being in a desert wilderness and it describes what we're like too. We're wanderers. We're like the primary school kids who come on crew camps who I see having a go at archery for the first time. We know the target is out, or they know the target is out there somewhere. One, two, three, and they miss the mark by a long way. That's what sin's like too. 
Sin is not just missing the mark, but it's going over, wandering to where the arrow landed or where it's stuck in uh, the target, and it's circling it anyway. Because after all, who's God to tell us where the bullseye should be? But does it work? All of us know instinctively that there are deep longings in our hearts, desires that go unmet. Augustine described it this way, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Well, what about you? What about you coming near to the end of 2020? Has this year been a year of wandering? Do you know where you're supposed to be going as you head into a new year? Are you restless at all? And why is that? Picture two, a prison. We shift from the vastness of being lost in a desert, unsure what direction we should be heading in, to being trapped in too small a place. Verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering an iron change. Why are they in distress? Because they rebelled against God's commands. Just like the wilderness, Israel is reminded of their slavery in Egypt, but for the exiles in Babylon, it is captivity 2.0. They were rebels. They were arrogant. They despised the mighty one and his plans. God sent them into utter darkness. But there is another turning point, verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He saved them from their distress. How does he do it? He brings them out of darkness, breaks them out of their iron chains. Now, this picture sounds very similar to number one. So what's the point of the psalmist telling us twice? It's because the message needs to get through. I don't know what your family or house is like. But do you find yourself saying the same thing over and over because the message doesn't seem to be getting through? Uh, With Archie, we've had to start using the phrase, Archie, turn on your listening ears. He's two. The psalmist knows that we need to turn on our listening ears. We need training. It doesn't come naturally to be thankful. It doesn't come naturally to look at what we're truly like. We need to look at the awfulness of being imprisoned, being able to see our own arrogance, rebellion repeatedly against God, because otherwise we forget and get bent out of shape again. If you and I don't see, don't look at those around us who are not gathered, are not redeemed, and don't see that that life is not attractive, that life is miserable, And if we don't see that, then we will never sing like Charles Wesley did. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Picture three, sickness. In verses 17 to 22, we have another picture of sin. This time, the picture is of someone who's desperately sick. Why? Verse 17 literally begins, fools. 
The fool in the Bible is not the unintelligent, but rather the person who just lives as though God does not exist. What's their distress? They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Israel in exile is like a sick person. They've lost all hope. Maybe you've been by the bedside of someone who is very ill before, perhaps someone who is sick and dying. I remember my grandfather, Arthur, in the days before he passed, towards the end, his organs started to fail. He no longer had any appetite for food. He was shutting down. Or maybe it's been someone you know in a deep depression. One of the hardest nights I ever had in university ministry was going home, having spent the afternoon talking to a girl in my faculty who had lost all interest in living and just wondering and praying whether she would make it through the night. And I remember the next day that I saw her, there was just so much thankfulness that the Lord had answered that prayer. What should a person do when everyone, everything seems hopeless? 19. They cried to the Lord in their distress, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. He delivers them. They sacrifice thanks offering and they sing with joy. Do you have that praise night in your calendar already? Are you ready to sing to the Lord with God's people gathered? What are you doing this year? It struck me that my voice is more and more out of tune, not singing each week. I have to, I have to put on music at home. I have to be in the shower and re- remind myself of hymns that I've forgotten. The third picture shows us how sin makes the soul sick. Now, we know from the book of Job and from Jesus' teaching that there isn't a one-to-one causal relationship between sickness and sin, but the very experience of sickness at all points to something deeply gone wrong. We all live under the shadow of death because of sin. And sometimes, think back to Psalm 51, David, restore the bones in my flesh that you have crushed, O Lord. Sometimes our sickness does relate to our sin. How precious then is the deliverance, verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Picture four, the storm. Uh, We were watching The Crown season four a few weeks ago. It won't be everyone's taste, but uh, it struck me, someone pointed out to me um, in Episode 1, the funeral scene of, Mount Lord, uh, of Lord Mountbatten. Uh, he dies tragically at sea, and uh, his funeral text is from Psalm 107. Uh, so it's not in my script. Uh, where, where are we? In verse 23, following, the scene is one of being tossed about by the storm. The picture is designed to be terrifying. 26, they mounted up to the heavens, they went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. Isaiah 54 uses this same metaphor to describe Israel in exile as like an afflicted city being lashed by a storm. And that's what exile was like. Totally disorienting. And sin, living in a world of turmoil, can be like that for us as well. 
In biblical poetry, the sea is often a symbol of chaos, evil, death. The scene illustrates people who are being completely knocked about by the world that is around them. Sometimes in our lives too, it takes a storm. Perhaps it takes something very small, a virus, that spreads to realize just how small, vulnerable and powerless we really are. For the fourth time they cry to the Lord, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The storm is calmed. The Lord guides them to their desired haven. How can you and I make thanksgiving a song of our soul? By looking at what the Lord has done. Which leads us much more briefly to point two. Pay attention to his unfailing love. If we're to make thanksgiving a song of our soul, then we need to look forward beyond this psalm and see its climax in Christ. Our Lord really is good. And it is worth considering when when did you last sit down and spend just five, ten minutes jotting down in a notebook all of the things that you are thankful for God, thankful to God for? Thank you, Lord, for family. Thank you, Lord, for a job. Thank you, Lord, for ministry opportunities. Thank you, Lord, for my growth group guys. Thank you, Lord, for Regenerate. Thank you, Lord, for these high schoolers who come together. Thank you, Lord, for the youth leaders team. Thank you, Lord, for Monday night touch footy. Thank you, Lord, that there's somewhere to live. Thank you, Lord, for a car to drive. Thanks, Lord, for the cricket to enjoy. Thanks for friends who check in on me. Thanks for answered prayer. They're just the things I wrote down quickly last night. It doesn't come naturally. I find it hard. I don't know about you, but let's remember to thank the Lord for his goodness in our life. But do we also thank the Lord for just who he is? Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your faithfulness, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your promises, for your protection, for your patience with me. Thank you, Lord, for your deliverance. And if you don't pray that very often, then maybe that's something small to build into your prayers leading into Christmas time. Maybe it's something that at the family dinner table you just go around and remind each other what to be thankful, not just for what God's given us, but for who he is. This song, Psalm 107, it's a story of the Lord's unending hesed, his covenant love. The same word comes up six times throughout the psalm. Drop down to me, down with me to the last verse, 43. Tash brought it out so helpfully in her kids' talk. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. The psalmist concludes by urging the wise person to ponder Think on, live attentively to. Our society is quite big on this at the moment, isn't it? Living mindfully, developing habits of reflection, cultivating a gratitude attitude. And some of that is well and good, but the psalmist is talking about going deeper and more specific. You see, the wise person, the spiritually healthy person, is someone who thinks 
deeply, particularly about the steadfast love of the Lord in his saving deeds, his ear, his quickness to respond. And it's a bit like he's saying at the end of this psalm, now go back over these pictures. Imprint them on your minds. Why? Because each of them points us forward. Take the wilderness. To be a Christian is to remember that you were once utterly lost too. You and I, we were lost and now are found. It's to remember Jesus said, I am the way. How often do you find yourself looking for the way? What do I need to do to fix myself? What do I need to do to read and be up on the way? I am the bread of life. My grace is enough. To all who are thirsty, come to me for living water. We bought a soda stream recently, and I have to admit, I've become totally addicted uh, to drinking only cold, sparkling water. Uh, as quickly as I fill up these plastic bottles and make sure that there's a backup gas bottle in the cupboard, I need to be remembered that Jesus says, as often as you do that, think about your own soul health. Am I going to Jesus each day with every concern in prayer? How thirsty are we on a hot day? Third, the prison picture. Remember in the Gospel accounts, Luke 4, Jesus, that moment he gets up at the synagogue, he unscrolls Isaiah 61 and he reads it out, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. A few years ago, uh, I was doing a summer job with Toys and Tucker. Uh, it was uh, college year for me, and my job with a few other guys was to go around to the churches, like we're gathering our Toys and Tucker gifts, and to pick them up and bring them all back to the warehouse. And I remember I was paired with this uh, older single woman who was volunteering at Toys and Tucker, and uh, I remember she was a bit of a chatterbox, and I was slightly disappointed at the, at the time of realising, man, I've got a whole day uh, in the truck um, I was ready to just listen to the radio or something like that. But, but I look back on that season and she was the most encouraging person of that whole experience. She shared with me the, how she'd become a Christian just that year, how years previously she had been an alcoholic, struggling, isolated, hiding, unable to hold a job. But now she was going to MBM church. Everything was new for her. She knew none of it. And here she had first or second year Bible college student next to her. And she was full of questions. But the best part, I don't think I, don't think I served her as much as she served me. The best part was just hearing her talk about how much she loved Jesus. And about how much better he was than being at home, drinking by herself. Praise God that he delivers prisoners. Or take sickness. Over and over, Jesus demonstrated his kingdom power by healing sick people, delivering those oppressed, and yet he taught them that their greatest need is not physical, but spiritual. Which do you think more about, your physical your mental health, or your soul health. Take the storm. In the Gospels, Jesus calms the storm. Why? To demonstrate who he is. He treads on the waves. Why? 
to reveal his identity. In love, he drinks the cup of the storm of God's wrath for our sins. And why? Do you remember the New Testament reading, Revelation 7, because he's gathering a multitude of people whose robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. And we can only begin to imagine what John glimpsed in that second last chapter of the Bible, a new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How can we make thanksgiving a song for our soul? Firstly, we look at what he has done. Secondly, we pay attention to his unfailing love to us in Christ. And finally, remember his great reversals. Remember I said the Psalms ends in a strangest way. Look from verse 32 on. We kind of want it to just finish. That would be neat. Uh, Or at least just a fifth scene where we get our same movement. But it doesn't. Instead, we see first the covenant God brings his people into judgment. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert. Then he turns it around into salvation and reverses their experience. In 39, they are disciplined and humbled once more. But finally, 41 and 42, they are brought into joy. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. That's how the story ends. What's going on? In these verses, we find that God is taking his people through hard times and he is walking them through good times. And I think it casts our mind back to our 1 Peter series last term. Our way as Christians, like Israel's under the old covenant, is filled with ups and downs trials and tribulations, and perhaps so much more for us in these last days. It will not be an easy journey home for us. But in God's kingdom, we remember, we rejoice that there are many great reversals. Sometimes it is our loving Father who disciplines us and humbles us. Sometimes it is his kingdom pattern over and over to remind us, don't worry about them. The kings, they're in my hands. The first will be last, the last will be first. The proud will be humbled, the humble will be exalted. The cross, by all accounts, was a defeat. The empty tomb is a victory. And what that means for us today as we close is we have no reason to be anxious or afraid. When everything looks wrong, and maybe it doesn't at the moment, but maybe it will, For God's people, we have a God who knows how to turn it all around at any point. And even if he chooses not to, we know how the story ultimately ends. Second, we trust God in seemingly impossible situations. I don't know if you faced that moment this year where it was not in your control. But we see over and over again in this psalm, A God who is completely able to help his people in what seems like impossible situations. Third, we've seen a God whose love is so unfailing that no matter what trouble his people are in and no matter why they're in trouble in the first place, he answers their cry for help. 
which means for you and I this morning, nothing is too big, nothing is too small for our God, and that should make us pray like crazy. That should make us sing with joy with our families. That should make us teach our kids the goodness of our God. And if you want this song to be yours for the first time, the answer couldn't be simpler. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. He doesn't want you to fix yourself up. He doesn't want your good works or religion. He just wants you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen.